Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Or don't just show up on a Sunday for a recharge or for a reconnect, but stay connected to the source all week. Because then what you'll notice is when you show up, you're ready to go and you're not on life support. You're like, all right, need a, need a, need a charge of Jesus this morning, but that it would be a byproduct of our week. So this morning, we're going to really focus on Palm Sunday, which is uh, Jesus' triumphal entry. Okay, So this is the time that he was coming into Jerusalem, that he was coming in, and, and there, it was a celebration. And uh, we see the whole story, and we know the significance of it. And you know, I often wonder if the people that were there realized how significant that moment was, how significant it was going to be. Okay? So Palm Sunday, it's the beginning of Passion Weeks, which focuses on Jesus' triumph over death. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage from Mark 11. You know, so this story really breaks down what it is. But before we get too far, I want us to look at Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. So we know that in Scripture, there is tons of prophecies that were going to be fulfilled. So if we go back to the book of Zechariah, we know that in the book of Zechariah, that was way written way before Jesus ever came, right? So look at the passage. Let's look at the detail of this. And some of you this morning, if, if you are challenged to say, to, to challenge the validity of the Word of God, every time you see a prophetic word like this, and then you see it come to pass years, decades, hundreds of years later, it should definitely increase your faith in trusting that the Word of God is true. So this is what it says in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter... Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Look at the details of this. It says, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. So this is a prophetic word of of the promised Messiah to come that we see begin to unfold on Palm Sunday. We see the significance of it. So when the people of Israel were thinking of this coming Messiah, they were thinking of a Savior that would be a conquering king, maybe like David. David came and he conquered and he established peace. He was a warrior king. And there were many that that assumed that when Jesus would come, he would be a conquering, a warrior king, just like David. But yet, Scripture says that you know this king of kings, the true king, would come meek and lowly. But he would deliver people from their bondage. You know, so he wouldn't only save the Jews from their current situation, but listen, this king would now save the world of their sin. He would be an everlasting king. He would be an everlasting king that would allow us to be redeemed to the Father. So Jesus didn't come as a conquering king the way they thought. But yet he was a conquering king. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, as we'll see next week. But the people didn't expect it. They, did, they, didn't, they didn't think this is what Jesus would do. or, or they, just, they, they had a different perception. You know, and I think of that, you know, when I look at that verse 10 of Zechariah, it says, you know, that you know, the chariots, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. You know, I think of this war-type analogies, like, you know, if somebody's going to break a bow... 
Break it over the knee. I mean, this is what I'm thinking, just the, the, the visualness of what this king would do. But he would break the powers of darkness. He would cause the, the, the evil darkness to just bow lowly before him. We see in the Bible every time that they even encountered Jesus while he was here on the earth, it says that the evil spirits trembled. They knew the name of Jesus, but yet so many people didn't know yet who he was. So let's jump to Mark 11, 1 through 11. So this is where we get the story of, of Palm Sunday, the, the triumphal entry, you know, where we get the palm branches, all of those things. So Mark 11, starting in verse 1, going through all the way through verse 11 in the NIV. It says, they, as, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt there tied, one that no one has ever written, ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back to you shortly. Verse 4, When they found the colt outside the street, tied to the doorway, as they untied it, some people... Uh, standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They, asked Je- they, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Those who went ahead of them followed, and they shouted, Hosanna, which we said what represents, please save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is, his, is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out of Bethany with the twelve. So we see this story of, of him coming in, and, but the significance of what was happening uh, you know, that they came and, and they celebrated and they shouted and, and there was triumph. Have you ever been in Bay City and you didn't know there was a parade? Like all the time, right? It's like, oh, no, there's a parade. They're shutting the road down, right? Some, sometimes we don't, we're not always informed of when it's happening. But those who know about it can position themselves to be exposed to whatever's going to happen. Well, there were people that knew Jesus was coming into town because they were paying attention to the details that the King of Kings was going to arrive. Now we can be now if we pay attention to the details, we will we won't miss it. Right? We have to be informed, we have to be intentional, we have to pay attention to those details. We want to be on the side of the road shouting Hosanna when Jesus walks by. But sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we just don't pay attention. Sometimes we we don't, you know. It's our fault, right? You know, I believe there was enough celebration, there was enough word on the street that people knew. You know, even those who opposed Jesus were there, as we'll see a little bit more in Scripture, that opposed His agenda, that didn't support Him being King of the Jews. Okay? So if we, if we realize what a cloak is, that was another thing that, you know, because we know what the palm branches represent, and uh, it, it, was super, it was super fun watching all the kids, you know, just wave them, and some of you adults, did you get into it? Or you kind of... Or you get out there and get into it. You know, a lot of times, you know that, you know, the palm branches, the waving, you know, do you know God has given us our own palm branches to wave? Right here. Magic fingers, right? Look at it. You know, and as we lift our hands and we wave our hands back and forth, I believe it honors God the exact same way as the people of Israel as they begin to wave the palm branches and they begin to lay them at His feet. You know, but we see that we see the palm branches were laid down. We see a cloak 
So a cloak was something that protected the people. It was, it was a covering that kept them dry. It kept them, kept them warm. It was really a life support as they traveled. You know, it kept them, it helped them to be safe in whatever the conditions were. But think about that. The thing that was most important to them that kept all their other clothes dry, that kept them comfortable, that, that was their comfort, they took that and they laid it before His feet. And to the world, what did it look like? They laid it down so that not even Jesus, but the donkey could trample on it. So think about this concept. Am I going to take my nice clothes? Think about, you know, anybody wearing a brand new shirt or a nice coat or something super expensive today? Nobody. Okay. So let's suppose you had a suit coat on, you had a sport coat on, you had your, your nicest blouse, whatever it may be, to take that that is... Okay. Okay, let's, let's take one. Who has nice white shoes on? I see one pair of white shoes. Would you trample in the mud with those on? Heck no, right? Hey, the other day I led youth, and I had my white shoes on, and we should have went outside, but I straight up told them, I said, hey, I'm not going outside. These are my outside shoes. I said, I would have wore different shoes if we are going to go outside and play volleyball. But I said, I got my white shoes on, and these need to stay. These are my Sunday white shoes. We're streaming now. We're big time, right? You got to make sure your shoes aren't all, all grass-stained. Then camera might pick it up. Make sure you crop it higher up so I don't get my shoes. Um, you know, but something that is super important to us, would we just lay those things down? That was, that was the significance of this laying down, that thing that kept comfort and kept you warm and kept you safe. Of utmost importance, they laid it down. You know, so if we look at the calendar, I don't know how many of you have really paid attention to what Passion Week looks like. I know that KSBJ usually has a, a you can text them, and they'll actually send you the play-by-play of Passion Week, of, of everything that happens throughout the week, all the way leading up to the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's really, really cool. But this morning, I just want to really quickly, if you look at the passages from Matthew chapter 21 through 27, it unravels the whole story from Sunday to Sunday. So Sunday, it starts with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's, what, that's where we're at today. Well, we know from the entry point to the death on the cross, for a, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because kids are in here. It's a bad week. But... You know what I was going to use? The, the devil thought he was going to have other victory over Jesus. The worst week possible. But we look on Sunday as he came in, and on Monday, it says that he cleansed the temple, that he, he got frustrated with the condition of the temple, and he began to just cleanse the temple. Tuesday, that there was a lot of controversy with the Jewish leaders. And then Wednesday, scholars say that, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, potentially, it was just a day of rest. And maybe Jesus was, you know, resting for what was to come. If I knew what the rest of my, you know, sometimes we know when we have a really rough weekend, you got to gear up, got to wrap your mind around it, right? Well, if Jesus really knew what he was about to have to do, you know, perhaps... And then Thursday, they prepared for the Passover, so to have communion, the, the washing of the disciples' feet. Man, it was just a moment where, where the Lord had the chance to have that last supper with the disciples. It was at that moment, you know, where Judas Iscariot, you know, you know sabotaged Jesus. He just had his agenda. All of, so we see all these things. If you've never read this whole story, really tap into this this week. And then Good Friday, which... If we look at it, 
There was really nothing good about it. From the trial to the crucifixion to the death and burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it a good Friday, Pastor Noe? Because we know the hope that is to come. That he didn't stay in that grave. And then Saturday, this is when Jesus' body was in the tomb. And what happened Sunday? Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. So we got to look at as, as, we, as we approach this week, you know, Palm Sunday, it's exciting as he came in. But I want us to really focus, you know, think about it this week. Slow down. Think about, you know, what happened throughout this week. Be aware of, of the price that Christ paid. Okay? So on this wonderful Palm Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem being welcomed in by the praises of his people. The people, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, they threw their cloaks, they put the branches down for him to walk on. Did you know that this practice was for royalty and kingship? When there was a king that entered the city, this was the same practice. You know, it was kind of like the red carpet of the modern times, right? You know, of royalty, of somebody deserving of utmost praise, this practice. They, they did not want him to tread upon or to walk upon the ground. So they laid down their cloaks and the branches. But we know that Jesus really was royalty. I want to take some time this morning, you know, to look at what happened when the spirit of praise came forth from the people, okay? We know the story of Palm Sunday, what it represents, but I want us to also focus on what praise has the potential to do. You know, I really feel that's something that the Lord has stirred in my heart, that we are going to be people of praise. You say, Pastor, no, I want to be a people of praise. I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. It sounds so good, right? So as we look at these scriptures, this is what it says to be people of praise. Um, you know, Matthew 21, 15 through 16, this is what happened. This was all in the same time, you know, as Jesus' triumph entry. He's, it says, verse 15 of Matthew 21, it says, But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant, they were outraged, they were angry, they were offended. Verse 16, it says, But do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. They were asking Jesus. And he says, yes, have you not read from the lips of children and infants, uh, you, Lord, have called forth praise. So from their mouth, it's going to come forth. You don't have to teach. You know, you know, there's some things you don't have to teach children to do. You realize that? But this scripture is talking about that he ordains or he creates praise from babies and infants. So the children began to sing praises of Jesus during this time as Jesus entered Jerusalem. So then Psalms 8-2, it says, from the lips of children and infants. This is, where it was, this is what he was referring to, this passage. He says, from the, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us an understanding of what praise does. He says, they have ordained praise because of your enemies to what? Silence the voice, silence the foe or the avenger. So when we praise, it actually silences the voice of the enemy. Causes him to be quiet in amongst the praises of his people. But God has ordained praise from the lips of children and infants. And secondly, praise silences the voice of the foe or the avenger. So when the praise comes forth from our lips, we can rest on the promise of God's word and know that the voice of the enemy has been silenced. Why is this so important? 
Because when the voice of the enemy is silenced, it makes it really, really easy to hear the voice of God. Anybody hear that? You know, I think that's why it's important. I don't, I don't know what kind of music you listen to if your house is full of, of, of secular music or your house is full of praise and worship, but I try as often as possible for my house to be a house of praise. KSBJ, even though someone's like, I hate KSBJ. Hey, it's still good stuff, right? Or listen, listen, listening to stuff that really is, is creating an atmosphere where praise is continually coming forth from somewhere. May it be my lips, may it be my spirit, or may it be my radio, right? But we know that when that praise goes forth, it silences the voice of the enemy and it allows me to hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. Have you ever personally noticed during praise and worship, like it is easier for you to hear the voice of God? You said, man, if I can just get in worship, man, I feel like I can hear the voice of God. This is that promise coming to pass that when we begin to praise and we begin to worship, it silences his voice. You know, some of the moments that I've received the most direction in my life has been in worship moments. When I've been praying about a decision or asking God for direction, it's been in that moment of worship. I just say, Lord, speak to me. What am I supposed to do? And then it's crystal clear. And then I almost want to just forget that that's what he said. And okay, never mind. And I just keep worshiping. But if I know that praise silences the voice of the enemy, then I can usually rest assured that the voices that I'm hearing in an atmosphere that has been created and fashioned and set apart for praise, that I can hear the voice of God and then be obedient to what he says. Because if he's speaking and he's telling me what to do, but I'm not obedient, what's the point of that? So many people get mad at God because they God say, God, why are you not speaking to me? Why, why am I not hearing your voice? What was the last thing that Father God asked you to do? I'm going somewhere with this. What was the last thing that he told you to do? Were you obedient to that? Because what I've learned, God is a God that, you know, he wants you to follow this instruction, and then he gives you the next step, and then he gives you the next step, and the next step, and the next step. Some of us are stuck because we weren't obedient to the last thing God told us. So we have to go back to that place because God wants to do a work in your life, and there may be something in the way from preventing you from being all that God has called you to be, but he's already told you what to do. Well, Lord, what about this? And he says, hey, well, what about this? Because if the Lord gave you a specific instruction, you have to know that Father God knows better than you every single time. It may not make sense. You ever had one of those? The Lord tells you to do something like that. doesn't make a lot of sense. But you're obedient to, to it, and then all of a sudden you get that ah moment, right? Like, man, that's what you were doing in that. What about the times that you don't see anything? Can we trust that it was still the voice of the Lord and we were obedient to it? So during worship, we can be confident that, that the voice that we're hearing is the Lord. Because the promise is that as we praise the Lord, the voice of the enemy is silenced. And the Spirit of the Lord can be heard. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that or don't know anything about that. But that should radically change your approach to praise and worship. To where as your praise goes up, the voice of the Lord goes forth. When we position and we condition ourselves in a way where we put ourselves in a position to hear from God, that we see great things happen. Psalms 22.3 in the NIV, it says, Yet you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
uh, the, the New American Standard says that you are enthroned up upon the, the praises of your people. So that word enthroned, it means to sit upon or to place upon. Okay, so just like when Jesus came in, that he actually walked upon the palm branches and the cloaks that were laid down. He was upon those praises, those sacrifices of praise that was laid down. Okay, so when we begin to praise, God comes and he enthrones himself. He actually comes and takes a seat in amongst our worship. You know, that's why it's so important to worship and to praise in a way that pleases God. You know, this morning I was really praying. I said, Lord, help us to be a church that pleases you. And not just a church that's chasing after whatever culture is doing. But, Lord, what's important to you? What matters to you? What doesn't matter to you? What draws you to us? And what causes you to kind of be like, eh, I'm not really into that. We don't want to just be a culturally correct church. That just does what everybody else does, but our measuring stick is saying, God, what pleases you? What grieves your heart? And the things that please God, we pursue those things. And the things that grieves the heart of God, we avoid those things at all costs. And that, start, that starts from the pastors to the leadership. That's just, I'm just not preaching to you. I'm talking about us. What does our week look like? What does our lifestyles look like? What does our homes look like? The priests of the house, the leaders, the pastors, the teachers, all of us, it starts with us. Because I know that God works through the leadership of the church. And as the Spirit of God is being poured out through the leadership, it's like a funnel. Have you ever tried to pour oil or pour something in something without a funnel? You know how messy that gets? Even if you try, you're going to have to clean up a mess, right? So when God works through leadership and leadership is positioning themselves in the way that God has established it, the flow just works good. You'll see it go from the top. And then it'll go down and it'll trickle and it will impact every area of the church. So I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to ourselves also. How we live, the lifestyle of praise that we offer. Are we presenting a place that the Spirit of the Lord has made welcome? You know, true worship is declaring our worth or His worth from our lips. Our worth-ship. I think some people have high worth towards God, and some, you know, really, if we're honest, do we really care that much? Or is it more about what I can get? How do, how do we approach worship? You know, do we come through the, the church doors saying, hey, this is what I need, Lord? Or are we here just to give Him the praise that He's so worthy of? Right? I think that motive, you know, I think we can be selfish Christians, where we're just serving God so that we can get something from Him, rather than serving Him for who He is, even if we got nothing apart from salvation. Because we're quick to say, Lord, I'll, hey, I can be blessed. I can have divine health. I can have all of these things. Well, why would I not follow Christ? But we follow Christ out of a desire to be greedy and to receive things that He gives us. So we're really pursuing the hands of God versus the heart of God. So as a worshiper, if you're pursuing the hands of God, you will never find Him. But if you will be a pursuer of the heart of God, you will begin to experience God like you've never seen Him. To know Him in an intimate way, in a close way. So as we're worshiping God, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we building God a chair of honor in which He is made welcome? You might have heard me say this, chair of honor, chair of honor, chair of honor. We have to build a place where the Spirit of God is made welcome. 
You know, when we talk about the presence of the Lord, most oftentimes in the Old Testament and in the Bible, it talked about a weightiness. Now, if, y'all are, if, if you're under 100 pounds, you don't care about the weight capacity of the chair. Now, if you're a big boy like me, when it says 200 or less, you start evaluating life decisions before you sit in that chair. Because you know that you are pressing the limit of the capacity that that chair is what built for. So when we talk about the presence of the Lord and the weightiness of his presence, it has to be something that will carry or hold or support the weight of what's coming. I was at deer camp with my father-in-law, and he had what I call suicide chairs. Any chair he could find, he took it to deer camp. Well, there was this one chair that I sat in, and gravity pulled the whole way. I went from sitting to laying with my feet straight up, and he says, wait, 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 I got to take a picture. (laughs) My father-in-law, he goes, big man down, and that's what it was. And I said, why in the world would you have that chair there? He goes, well, I knew it was cracked. That's why it was doubled up. Why would we put a chair in place? that we know will not contain the weight of what God is either deserving of or to carry the weight of his presence. Because God's smart enough, if that chair won't hold him, guess what? He's never going to sit in it. Me, on the other hand, I sat all, you know, right? So we have to understand building a chair of honor that welcomes God. You know, when we look at this picture of this royal throne, There's seats that are reserved for royalty. You know, it's funny, like, as long as I guess I sit here, unless I move, you know nobody will sit in my chair. That's Pastor Noe's chair. Now, I don't have my name on it, but I never, now my, these kids, never mind, let me, let me redirect that. The kids will sit in my chair every time, like, move over, this is my chair, I got to sit somewhere. But you notice that, you know, there's certain seats that are reserved, you know, even though you don't say it, that we just, oh, that's Pastor Noe's, you don't. Hey, or someone, no, that's where Pastor, no, we're going to see that. So if you're going to give that respect to me, why would we not give that respect to God? I really don't care that much. If you sit in my chair, I'm going to move. A chair is a chair. If I don't have nowhere to sit because we got so many people in here, that's a good problem. I'll sit in a folding chair. I'm okay with that. I stand up half the service anyway. Don't matter to me, right? But that chair of honor, that place of royalty, that position of where, hey, that's your, that's your chair, Lord. So we have to realize that the atmosphere or the praise we offer or the place that we build for God will either welcome Him into our praises or it will reject Him. You know, we don't want the words of our lips to say, Lord, come, draw near, but our heart to say, Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's going to add, that's going to really produce a conflict. How many times do we sing the lyrics on the page, but we don't really mean it? We're just going through the motions. You know, maybe, you know, it's just that you're just singing along. But do you really mean what you're saying? Does your expression reflect what the song is talking about? Reiterate real quickly, last week we talked about Paul and Silas as they began to praise. It affected the whole prison. Not only their chains broke loose, but everybody in the jail cell broke loose. The jailer thought that they had escaped. And yet it turned the, a, a moment of failure into a moment of faith to where that jailer even came to the knowledge of, of who Christ was. And it says him and his whole household were saved 
because Paul and Silas were praising in a prison, shackled. Now, how many of us like to praise in that kind of moment? Lord, I'll praise when I get out of this prison. I'm not going to praise you in the prison. Maybe we need to change our perspective. Because if we will praise God in the valley, we know that we will praise him on the mountaintop. And I've been around enough, long enough to know that there are hills and there's valleys in life. And how I worshiped and how I praised in the valley determined how long I stayed in the valley. Because the quicker I start praising, the quicker I get out of the valley. Somebody needs to write that down this morning. So building a chair of honor. God will not you know, come to a place where he's not welcome or hasn't been prepared for him. To experience the presence of God you know, in his house, in his presence, we must build a throne that will hold his presence. In the Old Testament, they built a temple. They built a, a place for the Ark of the Covenant to dwell. It was where the presence of the Lord abided. But thank God that today, God abides within the throne of our hearts. So we can either place Him there or we can reject Him. We can choose God or we can choose the things of this world. It's up to you. But we have to build a throne of honor. So let's think about this just a little bit more. You know, um, let's say you're expecting a house guest over to your house. You invited them. You said, hey, come on over. And you show up. And it's dinner time. And you just look at them and smile. Well, they're thinking, what are we going to eat? Right? But you didn't plan dinner. And they showed up, and it just so happened there was two seats available for you and your wife, but you had laundry, you had all kinds of stuff. You didn't make any room for them to even sit down. That might be the last time they come over to your house. Now, if you got really good friends, they'll give you grace, and they'll sit right on top of your laundry. You're like, just sit there. You ain't going to fold that? No, it's been there three weeks. Whatever, Right? But how much more is it important when you know someone is coming over to prepare ahead of time? You meet them at the door. Hey, here's the seat. Here's the food. You, you have prepared a place where they are made welcome. Now, if anything, you should have sat your butt on that laundry. You say, well, I've got a little house. And I, hey, listen, if you've... If you've never been to my house, my house is really, really small, but I've had 20 people in there. So I'm going to prove a point. How many of you say, Pastor Noe, I can't have anybody over because my house is too small. How many, of you, how many of you say that all the time? Yeah, I got at least one truthful person in here. Right? It doesn't ma- people don't care that much. Just when they show up, be prepared for them. Pull out every laundry chair you got, you know, your lawn chair, whatever you got to do. We got a lot of these ladies in our in our in our leadership that like to sit on the floor. I don't understand that. I don't need a chair. I'm gonna sit right there. Good luck with that. Get down there. I won't get back up. Right. But be prepared when people come. You know, one more, one more example. Uh, it was fun, and it, it happened to us. You know, I was thinking about a. Uh, we, we had a, a neighbor kid come over. He knocks at the door, and we open the door, and he just stands there, and it was this awkward moment. So first, we weren't expecting him coming, and then secondly, we sit there, and we're just staring at him. Samuel's looking at him. We're, he's looking at us, and you know what he says? And it was shame on me because I think we do this sometimes with God. We open the door, and Jesus showed up at the door, and we don't know what to do. And then the kid says, 
hey, uh, is it cool if I come in? Like, it was super awkward. And I was like, yeah, why are we just sitting here looking at you? We should have already said, come on in. But I was thinking about how, do, how often do we do this? It's awkward. Lord, we weren't ready for you to show up. We didn't have everything in a row. You showed up at my doorstep and you're knocking and now you're here. And I don't really want you to come in. I'm not ready for you to show up. But if we would realize the truth that the Spirit of God is everywhere, He doesn't have to use that door to show up. It says that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Our, our, we are the temple of God now. What I see, God sees. What I hear, God hears. And it either blesses Him or it grieves Him. It either honors Him or it rejects Him. Just because that door is closed and bolted doesn't mean that Jesus can't see what's on the other side of that door. You realize that. Or mom and dad, when you go to the room to talk, and you're arguing or whatever you're dealing with, right? You're like, well, we're going to go here. <laughs> Think God's not in that room with you? Seeing the responses, seeing what you're saying, seeing if you're loving your spouse, or you're responding in retaliation, or whatever it may be. We get back to the point. We have to make sure that he's made welcome. We need to be expecting him to show up. We need to build a chair of honor. You know, today as we uh, celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem, you know, what, what's, I ask the question, what's most important, Lord? What's our greatest priority? And I realize that it's really just welcoming Jesus into our hearts. It's saying, Lord, come in and have your way. Guys and girls, some of you this morning say, oh, man, if God were to come knocking on my door, he'd see all kinds of crazy. He would see lives that don't have it all together. He would maybe see people that are just playing church on Sundays, but throughout the week, their life looks really rough. But Jesus sees beyond that. But Revelations 3, 20 through 22 in the NIV, it says, here I am, exclamation point. He's shouting, saying, hey, I'm out here. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Verse 21, it says, to the one who is victorious or who is an overcomer, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down at the, with my father on his throne, verse 22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, so he's talking to us. He's not talking to the world. You, you may say, Pastor Noe, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message today. Quit worrying about so-and-so and, and check your own heart. You want to figure out how to impact the world? Let God do whatever he wants in your heart first. Because then that will cause us to be more effective in our ministry in the world. I want to look at this passage in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It's a lengthy passage, but it talks about the return of God, or the return of the Son when He comes back. Verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Let me pause there just for a moment. God is going to get His throne. Jesus is going to sit on a throne. One way or the other. We can build one for him in the meantime until his coming, where he will come and he will dwell with us and he will draw near to us. 
or we can wait to the end. But that promise is true. He will sit on His glorious throne, period. Will we be a people that builds that throne now? Verse 32, it says, All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate His people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, and go visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. We keep going. Verse 41, Then he will say those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me just stop right there. You realize hell was never pre prepared for me and you? The Scripture said it was prepared for the devil and his angels. So before you say, well, God's sending people to hell, that was never his intent. We send ourselves to hell by the choices we make in this life. It just so happens that God had a plan and he sent Jesus so that we don't have to go to that destination. Now, if you want to ride the bus all the way to hell, good luck to you. But Jesus has provided a way where we don't have to go there. All right, let me keep going. Good side note. 42, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Verse 44, uh, Then they also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? In verse 45, it says, Then they will reply, Truly, whenever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Verse 46, this is where it all comes down. It says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So God is all about dividing the fold. We have to realize that a goat cannot pretend to be a sheep and make it to heaven. But at the same time, only a sheep will make it to heaven. You know, as I was looking at all of this, thinking about building a throne of honor, realizing that God will come and He will inhabit the praises of His children, that God has ordained praise from our babies. You know, sometimes our kids yelling or hollering or screaming, if it's in praise, please don't silence them. Especially at a high moment where everything's loud anyway, and we can't even hear them, only you can hear them. Allow that praise to come forth. Out of their hearts. That's what I'm believing for. It says he's ordained or he's perfected that praise from their lips. That he enthrones the praises of his children. But today I really believe that, that God is drawing the hearts of his people to himself today. You know, God is a jealous God. He won't settle for second best. He wants all of you. 
I know when we hear the word jealous, sometimes that's a negative thing. It's not a bad thing if it's, a, if it's from God. It's because he doesn't settle. He will keep pursuing you till he has all of you. He'll keep knocking on the door of your heart till you answer. And be it too late where you die before you answer that call. You'll be held to what he's already established in his word. But he promises that if he knocks and you answer and you open your heart, that he will come in and he will abide in your heart. You ever have somebody knock at your house that you don't want them to know you're there? Be quiet. Don't say nothing. Your kids <laughs> running. They ain't going to know we're here. All your cars are in the parking or in the driveway. <laughs> Unless you're a shift worker, you're home. And everybody knows it. When we hear that knock, you know, my kids, you know, I, and I don't know if it's we don't have visitors that much. I don't know what it is. When somebody knocks, they're so excited. Somebody's here. You know, man, they, but we've, we've taught them, said, do not open the door. They fell the other day. My brother showed up. What was Cameron? We said, don't open the door. It don't matter who it is. You failed, Right. I know some of us, we're, we're, we're growing up in a culture that is so disconnected from people. That's d- disconnected from relationships. See, people's, you know, the only, the only relationships you have with your neighbors to your left and your right is you see the garage door open, you see the car leave. You might wave, but maybe not because they're, they're not looking at you and you're not looking at them. And then they come back, the garage door opens, they go back in their house, it closes. And that's, that's the extent of relationships sometimes. Some of you this morning may not want to open that door because you don't want Jesus seeing what's in your life. But he says, if you hear me knocking, don't run and hide. Don't pretend like you're not there. But it says that if you will open the door of your heart, I will come in. But he'll never be satisfied apart from having all of us. You realize until we come into a relationship with Christ, there's nothing we can do of, of eternal significance. Say, so Pastor Noe, I'm a good person. There's a lot of good people that are going to go to hell unless they know Jesus. But the moment we come into a relationship with Jesus... Now, it, now, it, now it, we begin to earn some eternal stock or eternal you know, we, investments in heaven. But this morning the Lord says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll heal the brokenness. I'll reset the mindset. I will set the captive free. So this morning, if you feel God knocking on your heart, and you might be a Christian, you just tried to lock Jesus out for a little bit. But if you feel him knocking on your heart this morning, and you're willing to open that door and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I give you freedom to do it. I want you to stand to your feet. Oh, I know it should be everybody, Miss Sheila. I'm waiting to see who's the follower and who's really paying attention to what I'm saying. 
Now, I hope all you back there were like five minutes late to stand up. Really, we're making that choice and said, Lord, close your eyes for me. I want you to see yourself as that door is not, you're hearing that knocking. And I want you to visualize yourself, first and foremost, unlatching that top latch that you thought kept you extra safe, which really didn't matter anyway. Open that deadbolt. Unlock that bottom lock. We got three, four, five locks on our doors. Okay, whatever, that's fine. And I want you to visualize yourself opening that door. And you got Jesus on the other side. Don't stand there and look at him like I did with that little boy at my door. Starstruck, not knowing what to do. Where he has to say, hey, can I come in? Is it cool if I come into your life? But if we see Jesus at the door, we eagerly let him in. And as he walks through the threshold of that door, all of a sudden you get really panicked because you see that the house is not in order. Maybe there's things there that don't please God. Maybe there's, you weren't ready, you weren't expecting. So you say, just a minute, Lord, and you go over there and you sideswipe all of that laundry off the couch. You turn off the TV because what you were watching really wasn't honoring God. You turn off the radio because what was coming out of the radio really wasn't honoring God. And all of a sudden, your home is forced to be put in order. Because when the presence of the Lord shows up, something has to change. Now, some of you won't let them pass the threshold. Come back later. I'm not ready. But as we invite him in, every room that he enters, something has to change. But it says that he'll give you rest for your souls. Will you lay down your cloak today? Will you cut those palm branches and give him the praise and honor and worship that he is so deserving of? Will you declare Hosanna, which says, Lord, save me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And will you say, Hosanna, in the highest heavens, come and have your way in my life. I allow you in every door, come and have your way. But just like these palm branches, will you lie down what is most important to you? Will you come to the cross? Will you allow Jesus to just work in your life? Hey, if he survived Passion Week, he can deal with whatever's in your life. One of my favorite words that Jesus said at the end of all of it. He said, it is finished. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.